Scripture reading this morning is Psalm 31, verses 9 to 16. This is a psalm of David, and he recounts his sufferings and asks God for help. Have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm depressed. My vision fails because of my grief, as do my spirit and my body. My life is consumed with sadness. My years are consumed with groaning. Strength fails me because of my suffering. My bones dry up. I'm a joke to all my enemies, still worse to my neighbors. I scare my friends, and whoever sees me in the streets run away. I am forgotten, like I'm dead, completely out of mind. I am like a piece of pottery destroyed. Yes, I've heard all the gossiping, terror all around. So many gang up together against me. They plan to take my life. But me, I trust you, Lord. I affirm, you are my God. My future is in your hands. Don't hand me over to my enemies, to all who are out to get me. Shine your face on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. The word of God for the people of God. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, our Lenten focus has been a sermon series that is titled Weeping to Dancing, the Laments. So we're looking at psalms that uh, represent that kind of lament genre, the people who were weeping about a variety of things in their lives. We've looked at this primarily because we know a world in which we live that has a tendency to crush people around it, the things that can just be insurmountable, that infiltrate your life and your soul, and you can feel like you're overwhelmed by the world in such a way, and from that, feel like there's no hope in the world. Yet we know that that's not really what God desires for us as God's people. God wants us to be able to dance in our lives, not just weep, but to dance. And, and that that be our witness to the world around us, because that's ultimately what it's about, is the witness that we have about the God that we believe in. So we've talked about it from the very visible wounds that so many of us carry, they're part of who we are, to the invisible that we hide from everybody around us. Today we're going to think about our outlook on the world and how that is shared with people that we come in contact with and how easy it is for us to be pessimistic. I don't know if you've ever heard this about the church, but periodically the church kind of runs up against itself and people that are outside the church have things to say about us. There are things along the lines of the Christians that I know, I know them more for what they're against than what they stand for. Ever heard that said? You know, that we Christians sometimes are known more for what we are against in this world than what we actually believe in. We have been criticized and we've been called so many things, judgmental hypocrites, homophobes. We operate in a male-dominated organization. We're arrogant. We're highly political. All of these kinds of things. And probably some of it's really true because we kind of have a pessimistic outlook on the world around us. And from that, we can be a little bit judgmental. And yet, is that really the witness that we want to carry into the world? Do we want to carry a weeping witness about everything that's going on into our neighborhoods and share that with the people that live next door to us? Or would we rather celebrate something different? Celebrate a God who dances and invites us to dance with him. Right? One of my favorite characters of literature is A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. How many of you know A.A. A. A. Milne's Winnie? 
the original book, not the new adventures that our grandkids all watch, you know, kind of things. But the original, right? We all know that in Milne's writing, his characters all emulate different kinds of outlooks on the world. Their personalities reflect how people see the world around them. How many of you remember who the pessimist in the story is? Eeyore, right? The dour little donkey that always has the black cloud hanging over him. Heads always down, negative outlook on the world. Ever met an Eeyore? Here's a question for you not to raise your hand to. Live with one? No one? Are one? Right? How many of us kind of have that pessimistic way in which we look at the world around us? You know, if you really think about it, everything that kind of bombards us each and every day, it's reasonable to assume that many of us could be pessimist about the world. Think about all that's circulating just in our news media today, right? It is a presidential campaign year. Enough said. Amen, right? You think about that. Uh, in 2000, or actually earlier this year, January the 12th of this year, a young man by the name of Zach Toombs wrote an article. And the title of the article was Fighting National Pessimism is an Uphill Battle for Obama. He wrote this article and posted it online, and within a couple of days, 27 different media outlets picked up and refreshed that story on their own news service. I did a simple internet search on two words, economic pessimism. In the first 150 search results, his article came up 47 times. One-third of it came up. He's a young man that talked about this as far as the economic circumstances around us. You know, you think about retirement and what it's going to look like for those of us that are kind of pressing towards retirement age. Those of you who are already there, you wonder, how will you continue to survive? On Wednesday, I was at a, a foundation presentation. The United Methodist Foundation here in Missouri sponsors different kinds of training. And one of them was on clergy pension and our financial wellness And they cited two surveys that talk about the nervousness of just our culture alone. 44% of the people in our society feel like they are overwhelmed by the topic. Just thinking about retirement and retirement planning and financial health is an overwhelming subject for most of us. The majority of Americans, according to the Federal Reserve in their report last year, feel like they have not saved enough and will not be able to save enough for retirement. They lack a confidence in their ability to invest, especially with the way the markets are going right now. And most of us are under or ill-informed about what it's going to take for us to be able to retire. That's one of the many different kind of confluences in our world that could certainly contribute to many of us feeling pessimistic about what the future looks like. And even when we think about it for our children. Maybe one of the ways to think about pessimism is to think of it as a sign of chaos. That we're pessimistic about things because they are things that we cannot control in the world around us, let alone control in our own world. And so we become pessimistic based upon this chaos, this inability to control what is going on in our lives. And we feel like there's no hope. 
Or is there hope? You think about the psalmist as a, as a writer of one who takes on that perspective of everything that's going on in their life and all that is wrong about their life and how it certainly becomes a dark cloud and causes them to weep over many things. The psalm that we read today is actually an irregular psalm. It does not fit the normal pattern of a lament. It's a chaotic psalm because it goes back and forth between the lament and the pessimism and the hope and the joy that they experience and can see in the world around them and in their own lives. This psalm balances those two things of going back and forth between the chaos and the pessimism and the appearance of hope yet to come. I did some research to see if I could find a story that maybe kind of helped us understand what that would look like even in our own lives, to balance between those two worlds. And there's one that came out of Croatia. It's about a man by the name of Frane Selek. Frane Selek was a music teacher, and it's reported that he survived eight different accidents in his life. There are eight different times in his life where he could have died. How many of you have ever just survived one? let alone like eight, right? You think about that. Here's here's the way his story goes. In January of 1962, he was in his first accident. It was a train accident. He was riding in a train. It was a cold, rainy, and snowy kind of wintry day. The train slipped off of the track and fell into a river. Selleck was pulled to safety. He had a broken arm, suffered from hypothermia. But 17 of his fellow passengers weren't so lucky. They died in the train accident. One year later, Frayne was in his one and only airplane ride. Something malfunctioned with the door and he got ejected from the airplane. Luckily, he fell into a hay pile that was enough of a density and mass that he didn't get injured from this. But he was the lucky one because there were several people on the airplane, 19 folks who died in the plane crash. In 1966, he found himself escaping from another river accident. This time he was in a bus crash. He got out of it, but four of the fellow passengers drowned in that accident. 1968, he was teaching his youngest son how to hold a gun. He didn't know that the safety was off on it, and he shot himself in a very private part of his body. Had to go in for surgery to save his life from that. In 1970, he was in the first of his two automobile accidents. In this one, his car caught fire. He got out just in the nick of time before the gas tank exploded. And then about three years later, he was in his second car accident. It was so violent that the hot oil spewed all over the engine and his engine compartment caught on fire and the fire was coming out of the vents of his car. 1995, he was struck by a bus. Suffered minor injuries for that one. And his last one in 1996, he swerved into a guardrail on a winding mountain road. He was trying to avoid a UN truck that was coming right at him. And he was luckily, lucky because he was quickly ejected from his car. It plunged 300 feet to the bottom of a gorge. Do you think that guy thought that there was a black cloud flaw on him everywhere? I would, eight different times in my life to think about that. He knew the extremes of what it could have meant to be very pessimistic about his life, to think that fate was out to get him. But he also knew the opposite side of that as well. In 2003, two days after his 73rd birthday, 
Frayne Selleck won the European lottery. Did you get that? He won the lottery. $1,110,000 was his uh, lottery winnings. Says that he bought two houses and a boat. Lived pretty frugally for most of his life, about the next seven years or so. And at the end of that ten-year period of time, he decided that he was just going to give it all away to his family and his friends. He, he didn't need it. He knew the, the chaos of the world and the chaos of life. He knew the dichotomy in which every single one of us lived. Sometimes things are bad and sometimes things look really good to us. And although sometimes the good comes in, it seems like the bad really outweighs almost all of the good. The swirling factors of the world that is around us and everything that's going on, it's so easy to see why we could be pessimistic about life. But yet there's an answer to this. I think an answer that all of us could settle into that would help us experience what God desires for us. To move us from the weeping to the dancing. There's something that the psalmist says in in chapter 31 that we did not read today. Listen to these words. In verse 5, the psalmist writes, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Does that sound familiar to you by any chance? Choir, does that sound familiar to you? Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Where do we remember it from? Jesus on the cross. The passion narrative, the dying words of Christ are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? He he proclaims on the cross two different lament psalms. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now here's the interesting thing, though, for the psalmist. The psalmist wasn't dying, and the psalmist didn't expect to die anytime soon. This is a proclamation of trust for the psalmist. The psalmist says, God, with all these things circling around in my life that certainly could be negative and could cause me to be pessimistic and just live in this chaos, I trust my spirit to you. No matter what transpires in my life, I believe that you have my good intentions in mind. I believe in you, O God, and trust in you. So I'm going to close with a a simple proposition for you this morning. Could it be that we continue to wander through life with a a dark cloud over us, with a pessimistic outlook, with a, a tear in our eye, simply because we do not trust the one who created the world? That we trust more in the things of this world than the one who created it? Jesus says to us, be careful where you build your house. Don't build your house on shifting sand. Rather, build your house on a solid foundation. How many of you remember the old hymn that says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Maybe today is the day where we stand upon Christ the rock, our salvation, the one who can take our weeping and turn it to dancing. Here's what I hope that you take home from our time together, just a couple of salient points for you. To be reminded that it is very easy for us to pay attention to the world around us, the dysfunction of this world and become pessimistic about it. That could be our natural state of being in the middle of all of the chaos that is ensuing in this world. 
The psalmist understood this. He saw it active and present in his own life. But the psalmist also understood what trust in God looked like and how that could be something different for his life. God desires the same for us. To free us from our pessimism, from our our weeping, that if we trust in God each and every day, our weeping can certainly be turned into dancing. So here's your invitation. Something to kind of take away and, and think about how it impacts your life today. If you're trusting in the world and the people who make policies and promises in this world, I'm going to ask you the famous question that Dr. Phil asked. How's that plan working for you? Right? You think about that. How is that working out for us? Could today be a day where we make a new plan? Where we look at something different in our lives? Could today be the day where we commit our trust in God as the one who shapes all the world, who is active in our world. And if you're one who's already dancing, this is where you live, as you live in that faith and that trust in God, my question to you is simply, who have you invited to dance with you recently? Someone that you might know who's living in that reality of pessimism. How could you share a faithful witness with them that would turn their weeping to dancing? Would you take a moment now to join me in our closing prayer? And so, O God, we come before you and give you thanks and praise for all things. For the lives that we certainly find ourselves living today. And and Lord, we know that it's so easy to be influenced by the things that we hear and see. It's so hard for us to understand how we can be cruel to one another. How injustice can continue to be a prevalent part of our world. Lord, we pray that you speak to the depths of our souls. And rather than us giving into and becoming prey to the pessimism that could certainly be pervasive and overwhelming, we pray, O oh Lord, that you might break through, that your sun might shine through to us today. That as you look down upon us in your mercy, in your grace, that you might renew us, help us to come and trust you to live centered in you each and every day, that that might be our proclamation to the world, that you have turned our weeping into dancing. And all these things we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.